Minnow Middle got you down. Crush your sugar cravings with delicious all-natural Bossa Bars for menopause. Created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the pause. Try them at BossaBars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today we have on the incomparable Melissa Gilbert. And Bridget and I were so excited for this conversation. She has a new book coming out called Back to the Prairie. And I think Bridget would agree that every time we talk to one of these amazing women in midlife and beyond that we just feel like a kinship. We're all going through the same stages of life. And it doesn't matter whether you're a celebrity, an expert, or the just like us, just like we all go through the same stages and we just can relate. It's so amazing. You know, you and I grew up watching Melissa Gilbert on TV. I mean, that was like one of the first people that we watched probably. And it's she it's just like we sat down and had this great conversation as if we both we all knew all three of us knew exactly what we were going through we all had been there it, like that we were just sitting there with a cup of coffee at a table it, it was fantastic talking to her and just this book you're going to love this book it really was great to talk to her and 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 we hope that the listeners feel the same way that it's just like you're sitting down at a table having a chat and you're you're nodding along with us as we nod with her and you know we are going to talk about the book but the book really kind of showcases this part of her life so she's written a previous book that kind of told us the stories of her dating and her younger life and this is kind of the midlife and beyond where she's married to Tim Busfield And she is deliriously happy with him, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful. She just smiles whenever she mentions his name and how they bought a home in the Catskills and they renovated it themselves. And she now has chickens and she has vegetables. And, you know, yes, they are still very active in theater and on television. He is a producer and he's very busy, but she has found that balance in life Mm -hmm. that I think we all aspire to where you find the joy. Oh my goodness, her grandchildren, she is just thrilled to be a grandmother. And I'm kind of jealous of her um, because I would like to be a grandmother someday, but that's my kid's decision. But But isn't it our job to kind of be like, anytime you're ready. We are ready. Hey, I'm right here. You know, right. exactly. I know my, my poor married daughter. I'm like, you know, anytime, but she, yeah. she has to finish her PhD. So she's kind of in a, we're going to wait on that one, yeah. but it's just, it goes to show that everybody can relate to something for a midlife woman. And we talked about menopause. We talked about her relationships. We talked about what she's doing now, but also her career and, how she has kind of grown. You know, there was a part of the book that I quoted from where she said she used to feel like she had to make her accomplishments smaller to have the person she was with feel important. And she's not going to do that anymore. And can't we all relate to that? You know, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's really great that she is with someone that wants her to shine. You know, that is great. And hopefully we're all evolving and men are evolving as well to let their partner or whomever partners shine. You know, building up rather than tearing down really helps. And that's what we hope that this community does. It makes you feel like you're a part of a big community. So guys, if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, it's easy to do. Just press that little subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We have some great guests coming on. We have, you know, we always have great guests, but in the next couple of weeks, we have some great experts. We have some more actors and actresses that it's just kind of catching up with them and seeing what they're doing. And we're always going to talk about menopause and midlife, but we're also (laughs) going to talk about maybe some dream analysis. And we've Mm -hmm. got some great episodes. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any suggestions for us, please feel free to email us at hotflasheskooltopics at gmail.com and let us know what topics you want us to talk about in midlife and beyond. We'll be happy to get a guest on to share that topic. If you want to watch our videos, Where should they go, Bridget? They should go to vitalc.com. So our videos will be on vitalc.com. You can catch the entire video on there. 
And here we go with our conversation with Melissa. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today we have on an amazing guest, Melissa Gilbert, actress, producer, director. But I would say after this new book that just came out, Chicken Mom, Gardener, Chef Extraordinaire. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. You used so many words to describe me. It just made me instantly sleepy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, you know, I actually, I I think as we get to this age, our titles do kind of change and our priorities shift. I mean, we're always mom. We're, We're always mom and we're always woman, but yeah. Priorities kind of shift. So back to the prairie, a home remade, a life rediscovered. What a great book. We just, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Bridget did as well. Absolutely. Yes. And it's kind of a 180 from your first book. Can you share what made you say it's time to write a new one? It actually wasn't even my idea as, as funny as that sounds, you know, I've just been living my life and doing my thing. And I have, like everyone, I have social media and um, I post, I post more now, especially with the book coming out because I have to, I actually have a schedule that I have to keep up with, which is, I'm not a social media maven by any stretch. I just post things that I find interesting or if my pets do something cute or my grandkids do something cute or my husband does something cute. But now I have to do all this posting. Anyway, during the pandemic, during, I shouldn't say during the pandemic because we're still in a pandemic, but during lockdown in the beginning, that first year, I found social media to be very much a lifeline for a lot of us and for myself too, just as a reminder that I wasn't alone. I, and I said, so I started posting a lot more content than usual. And, um, I posted our meal boards. I got this like sticky letter thing, like a sandwich board sort of for the kitchen. And I would post our, our dinner for the day and then a quote of the day. And it just sort of, it, it evolved from there. And then when we, when summer came around and we built the garden and we built the chicken coops and we got the chicks, I posted about that. And I posted about everything that was going on at that exact time. A lot of the posts I did talked about how it felt similar to stuff I'd experienced on Little House on the Prairie, not in my life, but on Little House on the Prairie. And the next thing I know, I got a call from CBS this morning and they said, we want to come up and do a story about your pandemic life. It's very inspirational that you've gone and they said it back to the prairie lifestyle and that you're sort of living like Laura Ingalls Wilder with your garden and your chickens and you're up in the mountains and you have bears on your property and you're dirty all the time. And so I, they came up and it aired and my literary agent called me, Dan Strone, and he said, this is a book. And I said, is it really? And he said, are you kidding? The, the things you have been going through and the things that you have done and the way you've handled all of this and then watching you talk about this and this, the whole, you know, with you and the connection with Little House on the Prairie and now you're living like Laura Ingalls Wilder sort of and this is a book. You should write it. And I thought about it and I thought, well, let's see what happens. I'll, I'll start writing and, and we'll see. And then we went to Simon & Schuster first and they went, don't go anywhere else. We took your first book. We want it. So... Then I had to write it and it just sort of evolved from there. I would just sit in the kitchen and, and write this story that I had just lived through. It it was actually easier for me than my very first book because it was much fresher. Although my memory is not what it was. Um, uh, I didn't have to, with the first book, I went back so far that I actually had, I had, a, I had this big trunk with all of my old, love this, filofaxes in it that had all of my appointments so I could go back and make sure I got all my dates right. This one, I didn't have to do that quite as much with, although there was a lot of, hey, honey, remember that time we went to, what was that? Was it June? No, July. Was it August? Was it, you don't know either? Okay. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll see if it's in the calendar. That That's sort of how this book kind of came to be, but it was, it was actually great fun to write it. And I realized in the course of writing it that, um, though we were going through a really difficult time that first year of lockdown, those first two years actually of the pandemic and, and 
going through all of the racial reckoning and social unrest and the political climate that surrounded it. It was a very, very difficult time, but it was also an incredibly um, grounding time for me and a real uh, opportunity to continue the shedding of all the stuff that I didn't need and getting down to what I really needed in life, the things that were most important, my family, my health, um, and that's it. And then everything that goes with that, making sure that they're healthy and, and that everybody has the food they need, the medicine they need. And, you know, when, when, when the world is scrambling for toilet paper, suddenly all the crap that was important just doesn't seem important anymore. Exactly. Yeah. It, it really resonated with me because I was just relating. It was funny during that time. It wasn't funny, but I started hearkening back to Little House on the Prairie because I started thinking, what if things aren't in, in supply? What if you can't find things? I, I went into the almost the hoarding mode where I was doing Marie Kondo. And then all of a sudden I was like, no, don't throw away anything. Uh, we were trying to make masks. You couldn't find elastic. One of my sisters is texting us saying, cut up old underwear. They have elastic in it. And, you know, things like that. And, and trying to be resourceful yeah. like you were doing in this book, which is so amazing that everything with the farm purchase kind of happened along the times of the of the pandemic it it goes to show me and tim that you know if 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 we ever doubted for a moment that we were not in the right place at the right time doing the right thing which my therapist used to say to me constantly we're always in the right place at the right time doing the right thing even if it's painful and then she would say especially if it's painful and the fact that we bought this place renovated it, gutted it, put, made it year round. Cause it wasn't, it had no heat. It had, I mean, you, I wrote in the book, it was full of other people's crap. <laughs> I can't even think of a better word for that. Um, and it, it, it needed all kinds of stuff. And we were able to get all of that done at Chris by Christmas of 2019. And by February 13th of 2020, we didn't leave for months and months and months. And um, we wouldn't have been able to stay here otherwise. We would have been stuck in New York City, which was horrible for so many people who were there. A horrible place to be in the beginning of that, of the pandemic. I think it's really interesting in the book that you kind of, this is, I think it's so relatable because you take on the challenge of purchasing this home, which Maybe 20 years ago, you would have taken a look at that house and said, what are you thinking? This is never going to happen. But the challenge became joy for you. You found joy in every step of the challenge. Can you talk a little bit about the story leading up to purchasing the house and why you guys wanted to have something in the Catskills? Well, first of all, we fell in love with the Catskills the first time we came up here together. We'd both been up here separately over the course of many, many decades. Um, but we knew we knew if we were going to live in New York City, which we really wanted to, that we needed an escape. Because in Michigan, we had we had land uh, when we lived there for five years. For the first year, we were down in a small town in Howell, Michigan. And then we moved about 25 minutes away to Brighton, Michigan, where we had 35 acres around us. And so we knew we wanted that, but um, we we're really a hundred percent set on getting it. And also, you know, I wrote about our financial situation, you know, how much we paid for the house, you know, that, you know, how we had to DIY so much of it ourselves and how intense our budget was. So we were kind of waiting for the right time. And then, uh, Tim got his, um, director's guild pension. He, he said he was available to him and he said, you know, I could take a lump some, because he's been working as a director since 30-something. That's where he started directing. He said, I could take a lump sum. We could buy a house. We'll put another chunk aside, and we can renovate. Let's start looking. Well, in our price range, everything we were seeing was like, Ugh. <laughs> oh, There was, you're right, an excitement to it because I, up to that point, every home I owned, I definitely left my imprint on, but 
I had a lot of other people to do the work for me. So I did a lot of designing and they were my ideas, but they were executed by others, right? I never did any of the painting myself. I didn't do any of the carpentry myself. Um, and um, I had been in marriages, especially my 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 second marriage to, to Bruce Boxleitner, where he would just say, just do what you want. I don't care. Just give me a room. So I had complete free range. So I was accustomed to just coming in and making it on my own, which did not work with Tim Busfield because he likes to do that too. And he wanted it to be both of ours, not just me running amok, um, you know, painting cabbage roses in every corner, which is what I would do given the opportunity or having someone paint the cabbage roses. And for me, that culminated, that part of my life culminated with the house that Bruce and I owned in the mountains over Malibu, 7,000 square feet, you know, white carpeted living room, all murals everywhere. It was a gorgeous house when we finished it, but it was a lot to deal with and a lot to take care of and a lot of maintenance and a lot of things went wrong. And, um, and, uh, I look at that now and think, my gosh, that house was exhausting. I don't have the energy, the time, nor do I want to ramble around 7,000 square feet. There's no reason for it. There's just two of us here. I'd rather it was cozier and easier. And so when we found this place, I was so excited that the two of us as a team as this partnership that we are, we're going to be able to create a home together for the first time, like a real home that we owned. So, um, that actually was more meaningful to me than any giant house. I could have hired a bunch of people to do for me. Yeah, I could, I could smell what was happening in that house when you described how you were. <laughs> you don't even want to know. I, I, I mean, because you know, when I, I didn't, I didn't, describe everything that was in there before I described the smell. I just described the smell and said it was kind of musty. But if you read on and you know that there were mattresses full of mice, some of them were dead. There was food in the cupboards. There was moldy soap in the shower. There was shampoo. Everything was wet because we tend, the house tends to hold on to moisture and it'd been empty for about 20 years, except for all the crap that people had left behind. So you can imagine (laughs) it smelled like it's not like a tomb. It was just terrible. Uh, I was thinking bat cave. I was like, are right? you going to do a bat cave? And yes. I was like, that's his yes. And it's so amazing, though, what, you, you know, you were able to do. Just how you said you're the assembler of things. Putting together these huge tools and... Wow. I, I mean, I thought that was really incredible. Was that something you just picked up in this uh, at this time? Or were you always like that? I've always been the assembler. I've always been, I mean, when the kids were little, I put all the toys together at Christmas time. And I, I'm the one, I was always the one with the most patience. And then also this sort of little engineer inside me that just loves to follow directions and put things together. I'll tell you though, the most, here's the most hellacious assembly I've ever experienced in my life. My kids, Michael wasn't even born yet. So I had Dakota was probably five and his older brother's, Sam and Lee Boxleitner were probably uh, 12 and 15. And they were all into Power Rangers this one year. And they wanted all the Power Rangers toys. And so you couldn't buy them. And I found a store in LA that had all the things they want, like the Megatrons and the big put together giant things. And so I got them for them and I sat down on Christmas Eve to put them together And the instructions were all in Japanese. And I started at 10 p.m. And I finished at 6 a.m. I crawled up the stairs and I hear, did Santa come? Like 10 minutes later. (laughs) (laughs) It was the worst. And I had to, and they had tiny little parts and then everything had stickers that went on it after. Oh, it's just like one thing. But I did it. I did it. That's flashbacks. I can remember times like that, Christmases like that. I have I have hot glue gun my hand to my pants once. <laughs> I've I've stapled the 
tip of my finger. I mean, it's just, it's insane, but I do it. And I actually like to do it. It's now a given in our house that I read the instructions. Wow. Um, Tim just hands them to me now. He doesn't even <laughs> say anything. He just goes, here, here's this. Tell me what I need to do. That makes a good team. And you guys are a good team. And I thought, you know, it was interesting in the book. I actually pulled out a quote because it, I think it res- it's really resonates. You said, before Tim, I always felt like I had to make my own abilities and accomplishments smaller to allow the men I was with to feel confident, bigger, macho, and in control. That's a huge self-revelation, but did you even realize you were doing that at the time? No, not in the beginning. Certainly not, you know, when I was in my, like in the beginning of dating in my teens and my twenties and my first relationship, my first marriage, my second marriage. Um, I didn't start to feel that until I was, I, I wasn't conscious of it. I would say until I was probably 40. And it was when I turned 40 that I went, you know, I'm the president of a union. <laughs> this, is a, this is a big deal. And we treat it like it's nothing. And it really shouldn't be. And it should be a priority. And it should be something that everyone's supportive of. Why am I making it not a big deal? And that's sort of when I started thinking, okay, this, this, this is not something I want to do anymore. I would like to be proud of my accomplishments and I would like some support in walking through them as I move forward with each new thing I do. And being married to Tim, not only is he comfortable in his own skin enough to allow me to do these things, but he pushes me to do stuff I wouldn't do ordinarily. Like I, did, I did a one-woman show um, in New York just before the pandemic. They, it, I think I want to say it was summer of 19, maybe 18, I don't, one of the two. And um, when the offer came for me to do it, my first thought was, oh, this is, and I said to him, this is scary. I don't know if I can. He went, of course you can. Of course, if anyone can do a one woman show, it's you. You should do it. I can't wait to see you in it. Absolutely, you should do it. Because he said that, I thought, yeah, why, why am I saying I can't? He's right. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And the great thing is your sons have seen you do this. So they've seen you in this position. So they're going to do that with their wives and their families and their children are going to see that. And hopefully it'll just pass on like that. Yeah, I think so. I'm watching the boys now in their relationships and they've all chosen very independent, professional, working women. And they are very much in, um, in partnerships that are equal with these women and the women they're with are very, very strong. And, um, and I love that. And I, I, I like to think that's partially me in the case of Sam and Lee Boxleitner. That's also their mom, Kitty. Um, my ex-husband's ex-wife who I adore. And I think, you know, my mom figures into that. My sister figures into that. Their aunts figure into that. And they have all chosen really extraordinary, accomplished, bright, loving, compassionate, funny women. So I'm, I'm good. Young women today, I find extraordinary in, in, you know, the strides that our mothers took. Um, I didn't really, it didn't really register with me that much. Um, the feminists, the real feminists in my life, like Karen Grassley, who played my ma on Little House, those people I could actually see um, because they were actually out fighting that fight. But my own mother, you know, I didn't really get it until I was an adult and went, oh, 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 smart Barbara. Look what she did. Look what she did. But then I look at this next generation. I think, oh, my gosh, they're so far ahead in their self-awareness. Um, and then I wonder what the, my granddaughters are going to be like. I can't wait to watch them grow up. They're going to be extraordinary. I'm convinced that the baby's the next president and, you know, the baby that's coming is the president after her and they can all just be presidents for all I care. That would be awesome. And our, our, our future grandchildren can be vice president and secretary of state. We'll just keep it the line going. Yeah. Um, they can be Supreme court judges too. That's right. Wouldn't that's that right. be great? <laughs> you know, yes. It's also interesting in the book when when things go still and quiet during the pandemic for you and you're in the, you know, this beautiful home that you've created with your own two hands, basically, you start to become more reflective 
on the serious topics that are hitting our country during that time. And the conversations that you have with Tim and with your son, Michael, it's so, I think it's so interesting that in the quiet and stillness of that time, it kind of got louder, your opinions, and that you took the time to start reviewing and researching your own thoughts to really educate yourself because it's never too late. We are constantly learning. We are lifelong learners. And I just thought that part of the book was so interesting. Can you talk about that a little bit? I think for me too, one of the things that I find so tragic in so many people is a lack of curiosity. I, I, I find, you know, there, there have been leaders of this country who will tell you they know everything and have no desire to learn or grow. And that just, it's so tragic to me. It's tragic to me that they have influence over others, but that's another story. <laughs> it's tragic to me that that's who they really are, that they they don't have an interest in self-examination and trying to grow as people and trying to learn as people. And, you know, I always considered myself to be um, very empathetic, very sympathetic to other people's plights and lives. But that summer of social unrest and racial reckoning made me realize that I really did not have a clue what I was talking about. It was one thing to be understanding and to, you know, to feel bad when things happened. It's another thing to realize that there's probably more I could have been doing. I think allyship has its merits, but it's not enough. And and that summer was the summer that required many of us to stand up and say, done, I am, this is unacceptable. And inspired me to look at my own life to see how I enabled bad behaviors and to examine my own privilege and how lucky I am that, yes, I've had some really uncomfortable conversations with my boys, but I never had to talk to them about keeping their hands up on the steering wheel when they got pulled over. That was never an issue. I've had a couple of them have been arrested and I was never afraid that they would be killed by a police officer. That's a privilege. That's a privilege to not have to live with that fear. Sitting in that, in that beautiful, pristine courtroom in Malibu when one of my kids had been arrested and for, for drugs. And um, all of us parents were there together. There were four of us. And we were watching the proceedings. And the judge who sentenced Robert Downey Jr., who lives in Malibu, the judge who lives in Malibu, said, well, young man, you know, we're, you're, you're, we're not sending you to jail. Um, you're going to get this privilege taken away and this privilege. And you're going to go to court and you're going to report to me. And if after a year you're still living on the straight and narrow, everything's fine. And at that time, I just thought, whew, thank God. Now I look back and go, mm-hmm. how blessed and privileged we are. But at the same time, now, how do I make sure that other mothers have that same opportunity and other children have that same opportunity? Because it is definitely, we live in an unequal society. And how am I going to fix that? And the best way right now for me to do that is just to keep being loud and talking about it and not let people forget, you know, where we were that summer and and how we felt. Do you think you'll ever dip your toe back into politics? Because I know you kind of stepped yeah, in. Yeah, I did. I did. And and I've I've said this before. I you know I wouldn't wish multiple spine surgeries on anyone, having gone through so many of them. But I am so grateful that God, Allah, Baba, Muhammad. Abraham, the universe, she, whoever you believe in, decided to have my neck just go kablooey. So I had to have surgery and drop out of that race. Because if I'd had to go to Washington, D.C. and serve for those four years, I don't know how I would have handled it. It was a terrible, terrible time politically. It would have been really hard for me and frustrating and upsetting. And it would have taken a toll on my marriage. It would have taken a toll on my kids. And it wouldn't. I I, it, I don't know. It would just not be, I don't know how anybody does it. I really don't. And so I don't see myself getting involved in, in larger politics that way. I think I'm, I'm much more effective on the ground and, and just remaining loud if possible and, and actually being there to do the work with people and help people. And so I don't, I don't see myself running for public office again. But yeah, that would be very challenging when you brought up the part about the climate you would have been in had you been elected. <laughs> it's like it, it set up a whole nother light bulb for me. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that would have been it, your personal health. What a suffer. Yeah. 
my, my physical health would have suffered, but my mental health would have suffered. I don't do well. Uh, I mean, I can handle conflict now. Like I, I never have in my life, but this just, I just need to be in a place where I can turn the TV off if it gets to be too much. And if I'm sitting in the room full of Congress people and senators and presidents and screaming, I, I can't just turn the, turn it off. I'd have to stay there. And that would have been a bad, bad thing. Don't you find, though, at this age that not only can you enforce your boundaries more, but you actually, I find that I know what they are now. I, I, the thing that I love most about being this age is not that I know what I want. It's that I know what I don't want. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And how to say no. And Colleen yes. always says, no is a complete sentence. <laughs> and, I don't yeah. That's it. No is a complete sentence. I love that. That's great. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. use that. I'm stealing Feel it. Feel free. I, I wish I thought of it, but no, I, I probably stole it from somebody else. I say sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you can add a thank you. No, thank you. But <laughs> no is a complete sentence. And it's, it's a privilege. You know, we talk about the privileges we've earned because so many women feel as we get older and we're going to dive right into the aging concept that things are taken away. You know, I'm no longer a mom. I'm no longer at the top of the corporate realm. They don't look at the privileges that we have earned with this age. And there are so many privileges. And one of those is setting boundaries and not feeling guilty about them or putting ourselves first. Self-care is not selfish, but so many women think, oh, but I've always put my children, my husband, the dog, Mr. Fauci, the chicken, everybody first. It's okay to say, you know, I need some time for myself. Have you found self-care important as you get older? Yeah, for sure. For me, most important pillar of self-care, self-care for me is sleep. I have to sleep. I've, I've been a sleeper. I love sleep. My whole life is dedicated. Most of it has been dedicated to just finding the right bed and the right sheets and going to sleep. I love to sleep. Um, and I need eight hours no matter what. So I am reluctant. I mean, I'll stay up with the grandchild. No questions asked. Absolutely. Like I did with kids. It's what we do, but I won't do it for too many days on end because it's unhealthy for me. And then I, I'm not operating at my best for the grandchild or for myself. So I know, I know that is a boundary for me. Sleep is sleep is key. Um, for me, self-care is starting my morning in a very peaceful way. I have my cup of tea. I have my classical music. I have my Tao meditations. I you know, do all of my little things. Then I read the news. I don't listen to the news. I don't want to hear a lot of noise in the morning. It just sets my day up the right way. Self-care for me is also embracing exactly who I am and where I'm at at that point in that day, whatever the day is. If my back is achy, and odds are I'm not going to go running outside to lift heavy things. I'm just going to listen to listening to my body is another thing that I do more that I didn't do as much when I was younger. You know, I would go, 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 go until something catastrophic would happen and I wouldn't get a cold or a splinter. I would end up with a broken bone or pneumonia and have to, you know, lay in bed for weeks and weeks. And that's not healthy. So that, that kind of stuff is important. And I also feel at this age, the age we are now, I think we've earned our opinions and our right to express them. Absolutely. We, we know what we're talking about. We know what we need. And the other thing that the rest of the world needs to really come to realize is who do, who do advertisers think is spending the money? Yep. There yep. you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I really think these 22-year-old size zero girls are really the ones that are driving the economy? Or is it, you know, the not 20-year-old size not one? Yeah, the <laughs> 20-year-old, size. Colleen always says, using our credit cards. Right, the 20-year-old using mom and dad's credit right. card. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, and, and ultimately, yeah, dad may be, we'll spend money on stuff, but I'm sorry, that's us. We're the grocery yeah. shoppers, we're the house decorators, we're the nurses, we're the seamstresses. And then, you know, we want the stuff for ourselves too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We are powerful consumers, as they say, mm-hmm. and they, they and need to take notice and speak to us and we need options. Not and- all of us want to wear a mumu. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's Mumu's okay. Mumus have their place. And I have a couple in my closet. Um, that I wear, you know, like my house coats, you know, like my right. grandma's yeah. house coat. Great. 
But that's not the only thing we are. We're not just knitters. We're not just chefs. And, and I think, and I think I say this in the book that, that one of the things I love most about being this age is that I feel like a secret weapon. I feel like people discount me. Um, men, especially, they just go, oh, she's older. She's, you know, she's not going to whatever. Like they did when I was younger, too, and they'd assume that I was still 12 years old. So she can't possibly know how to whatever it is. And so when they do that, then I can actually bust out some intellect and, and have everyone in a room I'm in go, oh, she can, <laughs> she is, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I, I used to consider that a, a, a insulting and an underestimation and it made me feel bad. Now it makes me feel good because I know that I can go, hey, dudes, <laughs> smarter than you. And you're just aware of it. And I just think there's such a missed market and opportunity for all of us. Bridget and I talk about that all the time. And we have brands come on that were like, guys, do you even know this exists for you or that for you? Because like you said, we want to be happy in our own bodies, healthy exercise shifts. It's not just to fit in that size, whatever. It's because it feels good on our body, whatever level we're at, whatever movement feels good for our bodies, eating healthier, which you just, you actually have some recipes in the book, which are great, oh, Yeah, but eating, yeah. Far, you know, farm not to healthy, table. Though. Yes, yes. Yeah, much different, much different. And, and for me now growing food and, and eating the food and it's a, it's a whole other, it's a whole other way. It's a whole other kind of medicine. Absolutely. That impressed me so much that you were able to grow this food that you could eat. And so when it came time to plant this garden, the first thing I said to, to Tim when we were done was please don't have any expectations of anything surviving. And lo and behold, it, it, it grew. Now, some of it was misplanted and too close together. Like I did grow watermelons that were the size of ping pong balls. Um, so that they were too close together. And I learned, but mm-hmm. other stuff grew that we were able to eat an entire summer. And I ended up being able to can, I made pickles and canned tomatoes and ate them a year later. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's doable. You just have to learn how to do yeah. it. Yeah, I learned all about eggs and if they whether they sink, oh, yeah. they float. Who knew? Determining yeah. whether egg is good. And I yeah. had no idea. I had no idea that eggs come with a bloom on them, and that if you don't wipe the bloom off, you can leave them on a kitchen counter in a temperate kitchen for a month, and they're still well. Wow. That is so wild. And Colleen, I had to laugh. Uh, the type of um, hens that, were they death layers? Is that what they were called? Death layers, yes. Because it related to certain hens go through menopause, of course. Right, that's, exactly. Colleen, you're a death layer because Colleen hasn't gone through menopause yet. Although, truthfully, I'm five months in now, not one. Okay, okay. maybe not a death oh, layer. Oh, really? Yet. Yes. We're, you. Thank you. We're taking the toll. Like Bridget went through it years ago and she had the hot flashes. For me, it was more emotional I did the because I've always had anxiety but it kind of went and the migraines horrible migraines outrageous right they get better they do get better I mine got better ultimately how Uh, was your experience with menopause hot flashes for me the hot flashes were hard at first because my heart would start to race and I would think I was having anxiety attacks again, which I thought I was over. So at first it was kind of freaking me out. And that's when I went to the doctor and she said, I said, there's something, something's not right. I don't, I don't know what's going on because I'm still getting my period. Maybe not quite as regularly, but something was going on. And she said, I had my annual physical and she checked my hormones and she said, you don't have anxiety. You have menopause. Um, your hormones are definitely shifting. And so we had a long conversation about HRT, about hormone replacement therapy and what I wanted to do. And I said, I don't want to do anything. I just want to, I I don't want to prolong this. I don't want to go through this again in another 10, 15 years. I also don't want to, I don't want the risk of, because I don't know what my genealogical background is. I don't want to risk increasing my potential of getting any kind of diseases and cancers from, you know, hormone therapy. So we're just going to go on natural. So I had hot flashes and I have, I still have them all over the house and in every purse. I have these beautiful little Japanese fans. So I would just whip out a fan and fan myself and a little bit of night sweats. 
and whiskers in my chin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is so unfair. Like, I just finally figured out who I am and I'm comfortable in my skin, but I've got a beard. So what's that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel yeah. great about myself, but I have to, I, and I can't see. Yeah. So I have a 20 times magnifying mirror and I sit in the mirror and I pluck the granny whiskers and go about my day. Um, so true. I so. didn't have any of the other horrible symptoms and side effects. So I did pretty well. My, you know, our, my sex life stayed pretty much the same. So I didn't really experience anything too bad. Um, I have, I've always had, um, my mammograms have always been complicated because I have dense breast tissue. So I always end up having ultrasounds after. And now I think I'm regularly going to end up with biopsies because I'm starting to get lots of calcifications. Mm -hmm. And so that's just aging. Yeah. Beyond that, you know, little aches and pains of just getting a little older. My ankles are a little sore in the morning for the first few steps. And then I'm up and running. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm good. And I'm in, a, I'm in, in such a different place now too, because I dealt with chronic pain so much in my youth. Now with this last surgery, next surgery I had in November of 2020, I no longer have chronic pain. So the aches and pains of, of being almost 58 years old don't bother me at all. I'm like, this is the good news. Woohoo! I can move my head. I can use my hands. It's great. It's amazing. You talk about that in your the book about your neck surgery, which how many surgeries have you had again? I mean, on my neck or I'm just told just, my well on your like the whole back situation. Spine. The broke, yeah, the, the spine. Back, the back is four, four spine surgeries, four massive major neurosurgeries. Total lifetime of all the surgeries I've had is like up to 15 at this point. Because I've had a lot of other stuff that I just never even wrote about or talked about that were just, you know. I love the fact that when you were getting wheeled in for the last surgery, it wasn't like, tell my family I love them. It was, have you tried these chips? potato chips. That's so me. I'd be like, guys, did you taste the whatever? Well, I was just drugged enough too, to, you know, I was just, and I just found out that the kids were having a girl. They texted it on the family thread right before they wheeled me in. And I started to get nervous and they gave me a little bit of a sedative so soon. And the, the surgeon's a friend of mine. I mean, I stayed at his house after the surgery and I've known him since 1992. So it wasn't, you know, the first surgery he did that. I did say that actually, as I was going under, I said, you better not mess this up or my husband and my kids are going to kill you. Uh, but this time, you know, I was just comfortable enough to go, Hey guys, you just tried stuffing flavored potato chips. Cause they're the best. And then I was out. <laughs> I bet they hear the best stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, the nurses, I was saying, I can't believe I said that. They said, oh, that's nothing compared to some of the other stuff. That's probably why they have to have HIPAA laws for what people say when they're under. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or when they're just on just a little bit of medication. Because yeah. I went from, you know, I'm feeling nervous to, blah, 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 you know, I was just talking about everything. Can you talk a little bit about the transition where you went kind of, Right around Dancing with the Stars, you were talking about before that it was Botox and your breast implants and really high, you know, higher maintenance as you were getting older. And as an actress, a lot of women don't feel they have a choice. A lot of women in just society in general don't feel they have the choice but to fight the aging. But after that, you kind of had that like aha moment. It started to let go of all of the stuff you felt you needed to do. What happened that that led to that? I think it's probably a combination of things, but I think it culminated with the the wrong for me French dude that I was dating that I wrote about. And and then coming out of Dancing with the Stars where, you know, the of course the emphasis was on the physicality and the dance too, but the costumes got smaller and the spray tan got more intense and there was glitter everywhere and hair extensions. And, you know, that's, it's a very, very difficult to attain aesthetic. So that for me was like the epitome of that super thin. So I was a size zero when that show ended. I was wearing Peter Murgatroyd's costumes from the year before, which is <laughs> ridiculous. Cause I would look at her body and go, I remember those days. And even though, even when I was at my most fit in my twenties, I didn't look like that. Well, by the end of the show, I was wearing her clothes and 
that, you know, that gave me a sense of accomplishment at that point. And then I was dating this guy who was also the same. Everything to him was external. Nothing was internal. It was all about how everything looked and everyone appeared. And um, he didn't like that I wore glasses, which, you know, that it was those things that made me go, what am I doing? And then, and I think I wrote about this in the book, the patio cover from the house that I was in fell on my head. And aside from, you know, it compressing my neck again and then ultimately having surgery and having stitches in my head, it literally felt like God was just smacking me on the head and going, what are you doing? You've lost your mind. You've gone too far. Back off. And, and I took it as that and thought, it's time to start being comfortable with who I am and stop. It's time to stop trying to be someone I'm not. Also, the knowledge that it was only going to get harder. I mean, age is inevitable, right? What am I going to do? Am I going to really want to be looking 30 when I'm 80? How insane is that? And how much work is that? And how much time in your life are you going to spend to that when you could be spending time doing, I don't know, traveling, going to a museum, volunteering with children who are sick, volunteering at the nursery at the local hospital, cuddling and feeding newborns. I'd much rather do that than sit in a dermatologist's chair. Absolutely. I love, we had Leslie Ann Warren on the show last year and she said that now she looks in the mirror and she takes a nice look and then she goes, whatever. And then she walks away. And I love that because it's one of the least important things in her life. She's just like, whatever. It is. Yes, it is what it is. It is what it is. And, and I, I, you know, I, there, there are times where I look in the mirror and I go, oh, not bad. Nice one, lady. You know, you have, you have those days and then there are days where you just, I just don't want to look. I just don't want to know. I'm just going to keep moving. What's next for you? You've written this book and do you think you'll be doing some more acting or maybe some, because as you say, aging on Broadway is welcomed and applauded, unlike Hollywood. I think you might do some more. Um, I did a play last year in Chicago um, almost the entire winter. We, we opened, it was a new play. We opened in October and we were supposed to run through March, but then Omicron hit and the audiences stopped coming. And then everyone in the company started getting it. And then it, it reached the point where there were so few of us, we couldn't actually do the show. So we'd have to start canceling. And so the decision was made right about New Year's to pull the plug. So we came home, but I was in Chicago for months acting in a play and having a great time with an incredible company of actors. So I, I got my acting yayas in for a minute. I have a few irons in the fire, but nothing concrete I can talk about. I am in conversations about launching a lifestyle line that goes along with this. And so that, that will be coming at some point. Um, but also very female focused, very female forward, all female artisans. Um, and I think we're probably going to launch with crafting first, since that's the thing I picked up the most knitting and cross stitch and cooking and gardening and, you know, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And for right now, I, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. So I don't feel like I have to act. If something comes along that I want to do, that's great. Like I had a, a, an audition for, um, an independent feature that shoots in Montana in June and July. And it was kind of an interesting movie and an interesting idea. And, uh, Tim's working then here, in doing a play up here where we live in the Catskills and I've never seen him on stage. And my first thought was, How? I don't want to go. And so I wrote my agents and I said, you know, I still got book stuff to do in June and Tim's doing a play and thank you so much for submitting me, but I don't want to go right now. I really want to focus on these things that are coming. And they wrote back and went great, good, fantastic. I said, don't forget me. This doesn't mean I'm never going to do this again, but right now it just doesn't, it's, I don't think that buys me anything in my life. I've got the retail thing starting. I've got another series that I'm pitching that could happen. We don't know. So I'd rather focus on those things. And I do have a lot of commitments with this book, a lot of signings and fundraisers for various organizations that I really don't want to miss. And you have the freedom to say no now. I mean, you have that. I, you know, also, it's not just me supporting everybody. It's it's the two of us. And, you know, mm -hmm. we're a partnership. I mean, I obviously discussed it with him first. And I said, how do you feel about this? And he said, don't go. You don't have to go right now. Why? why? If you feel pressured, don't do it. Any chance there's going to be a 30-something 
I was going to ask. I, that had had to ask. <laughs> I love that show. And I'm just so <laughs> sad that it, during the pandemic, it got put on hold. But you think oh, they'll. Yeah. So are we. I know that the guys still really want to try and make it happen. I don't know if they can because everybody's you know, pretty much working all the time. So we'll see what happens. I'm hopeful that they'll be able to do it. Cause I'll tell you, if you liked 30 something, the scripts of what was coming were really amazing. Tim was sneaking into me. I wasn't supposed to be reading him, but oh well. <laughs> oh. Um, well, we would have a watch party, Colleen, for yes, sure. We yes, we would. Oh, yeah. I think it would be so awesome. And to see that group of actors together again is like a dream come true. They're all so brilliant. Like I said in the book, that's one of the most incredible ensembles I've ever seen on television. And um, the idea of getting them all back together is is irresistible. So I'm hopeful, too, as a fan. Right. Well, we just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Best of luck with this book. If you, you know, when the lifestyle line comes out, please let us know. We would love to support it as well. Um, Love that. And just thank you for just loving your age and growing as you get older. Because as we like to say, aging is living, feeling old is optional. You don't have to feel old. You can age and just, just have it be a part of your life. So thank you for being a great example of that. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I, I hope that, you know, that there are more and more and more of us who join this hopeful movement of, you know, of being all that we are at the age that we are at whatever moment we're at in our lives. It's, you know, we're enough. That was such a fantastic conversation. I still am a little bit, I always feel like I'm in a surreal world after I talk to someone that that we grew up watching on TV. It's really amazing, but it is so wonderful to find someone. She is just a sweet person. You know, really it's is. just when they cast Laura Ingalls, little did they know that they cast this child that really had that spirit in her. I don't know how they were able to find that, but they really were. And it really, she really is a fantastic person. And I think it's just amazing what she has learned, uh, just continues to learn. I mean, learning all that farming thing to do, that is not easy. I mean, she and I discussed how we killed plants, we killed cactuses, and that's not an easy thing. And just, I could smell when she was cleaning out that house and all the stuff and everything in there. You will really enjoy this book. So really make sure you get back to the prairie. She just has a sense of peace about her. That's Mm -hmm. really wonderful. She had this energy that just radiated through the screen and just so happy for her. And anytime Melissa and Tim want to have dinner with us, please come visit. We're in Nashville. We'll, we'll go, out we'll go to the Catskills. Because now yeah. I'm dying to see the house that she put so I much know. of her heart and soul into. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, guys, and follow us on all forms of social media. You will find us there, Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. We share tips and tricks and life and the episodes, but so much more. So make sure you're following us. Join us on our Facebook group. We are always there asking questions and our group's amazing. So have a great day, guys. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.